Hello and welcome to the Total Football New Zealand podcast. I'm Connor Clements, joined today by my regular co-host Michael Anderson and the Capital Football Chairwoman Helen Mellon is our special guest. It's a pleasure to have you on, Helen. How are you? I'm great, thank you, and thanks for inviting me along to talk to you today about all things football. I cannot wait to talk to you, and especially about the main topic today, our first topic, the Women's World Cup 2023 is coming to New Zealand and Australia. Uh, I mean, we we put the bid in, we did it, we beat Colombia, Japan and Brazil pulled out. Um, So excited to have the 2023 World Cup on our shores. Helen, how much does it mean? How much were you involved? I mean, just all your thoughts on this amazing achievement and uh, the excitement of hosting that tournament. Uh, Look, excitement is absolutely the right word to use. You know, five or half past four, sun a Friday morning, just could not wait to hear the news. And when it came out, it would be fair to say I woke up the household. (laughs) So exciting. (laughs) Yeah, I'm still apologising to the guys in my house. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, it's fantastic for football in New Zealand. Um, A great, there's just so many good points about it, celebrating the contributions that women make to football. And not just players, but also administrators, coaches, those in governance roles, um, the, the, the list is endless. Um, and it's just such a great opportunity for New Zealand to play a part on the world stage. Um, clearly, it will also bring about a significant boost to our economy, um, which right now with COVID, I think it would be safe to say, you know, as, as everybody will be pleased to see that. Um, and also, I think, you know, this is a first for football. Two um, member association countries collaborating together and what better than us in Australia because let's face it there's been so much rivalry between the two countries over the years I think this is a great you know another great tick in the uh, collaboration between two countries I um you know I also think you know it's you know I do commiserate to Colombia they're obviously disappointed to have lost the bid um but you know um having said that still super excited about what that means for us um and I think you know you talk about the bid team uh I think the work that they've done has been tremendous and immense. Um, having seen firsthand the work that's gone into getting the bid together over a number of many, many months prior to the decision being made on Friday morning was just amazing. Um, uh, you know, through to the evaluation report where clearly that had a contribution in the outcome with us scoring the highest. Um, but um, yeah, the bid team just worked huge hours um, to pull together. Um, everything that's needed to ensure that, you know, the success success of our bid. Um, and I also think it comes as a t- at a time that's just such a massive catalyst for women's sport. I mean, think about the next few years. We've got the Women's Cricket World Cup, the Rugby World Cup, and now, you know, the pinnacle for us football mad lovers, you know, the Football World Cup. Just, just to me is just a great, you know, example of New Zealand and Australia for the football, you know, leading the way in women's sport. Well, um, congratulations to like everybody involved in the bid, um, New Zealand football, and I'm sure everybody up and down the country had a bit to do with it. There will be some people in the footballing community where this actually snuck on, up on them a little bit. Can you give us a bit of a timeline as to, you know, how early did the work start to get the bid? Obviously, a bid team was involved. There was probably FIFA obviously came over and checked out some of the areas. Um, yeah, that, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure exactly when the bid team started, but um, based on all the information that I've seen, I say months, but I think it's probably longer than that. I think the the decision to start um, preparing a bid 
um, came uh, potentially well over 12 months ago. Um, and you're right, FIFA did, they do send a delegation to each country to, that's where the information and the evaluation report comes from. And that delegation travelled around New Zealand to look at the, not just the uh, places where the players and the referees and the administrators and, and the FIFA organising committee will stay, but also um, to look at the venues that where the games might be played. Um, so clearly that hasn't all been finalised yet as to where each game is going to be and which of the stadia around New Zealand will be used. Um, but certainly I'd be it would be untrue if I didn't say I'm hoping that uh, Sky Stadium here in Wellington is one of them. But yeah, so the bid team did come from FIFA and viewed all the, the stadia and hotels and the like um, and training grounds. Um, that's part of, of their role. So it was really good to be able to meet with them and other dignitaries here in Wellington while, when they came into uh, the capital city to have a look at um, our wonderful Sky Stadium. Nice. Um, there will be a there'll be a generation of fans who actually didn't really understand how big the under twenties World Cup um, was when it came here. Obviously, this is the women's World Cup and the adult women's World Cup. Can you give us an idea of how big this tournament actually is? That we've heard statistics about how it's nearly, I think, just over a billion viewers in the last one um, in the last edition of it. Yeah. Uh, how, how much of, how much of a um, difference is it going to be coming here compared to like the under twenties World Cup and the Rugby World Cup? Because surely, you know, it's the biggest one of the biggest the biggest sporting organisation in the world coming over. Uh, it's surely going to be massive. Uh, it's huge. I mean, uh, I, you know, I'll quote a couple of figures for you. So the Women's World Cup in France, 2019, 1.12 billion viewers wow. around the world. So that's viewers. Rugby World Cup. 857 million so I understand that New Zealand is a uh, you know I, I dare I say rugby nation um, but football is absolutely leading, leading the way in terms of the number of viewers it's massive and I think also you know it's exciting that this um, the 2023 World Cup also will be the first time that we've got not the usual 24 women's teams um, being hosted but this time it's 32 so we're going to have oh, really? more teams from, yeah, we, we're, it's, it's the first year that it increases to 32 teams from around the world. So oh, even more ma- football, it's long massive. Overdue. Yeah. Long overdue. Yeah. That's amazing. I, yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, fantastic. It's um, some of the, I mean, there's some amazing female players around the world that, um, you know, it'd be so exciting being able to see them on our shore and also across the ditch in Australia. So what's your what's your ideal game, Helen? Which one would you like to see played at Westpac Stadium? Thirty five thousand people. What would be your ideal game? Well, it's going to be Australia, New Zealand, surely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, absolutely. I I mean, it would be brilliant if it was New Zealand. Um, Obviously, our ferns, and I'd have to say, actually, the the USA team. The USA team, I think, you know, um, they're uh, the female player of the year. Um, yeah, Rapino, I think seeing that team uh, take take on New Zealand would be ex- really exciting for me personally. Yeah. Yeah, I watched and, some, some of their football in the last World Cup and I was just so impressed with that team from start to finish. Some, some uh, they got a little bit of bad negativity um, when they took apart teams, but... It's good to see that it doesn't matter whether it's in the men's game or the women's game, that professional attitude, almost similar to the All Blacks with how they went about uh, their games. I, no, I agree. And I think, you know, there were a few, com- obviously a few comments made. But I think, you know, even just looking at Rapino as a player herself um, and what she did in terms of the communication and, you know, the interviews that she took after the World Cup, 
really humbling to hear some of the views that she said shared but also she shone a light on something that I'm you know is really important in football not just in New Zealand but around the world and that's around you know diversity and inclusion within our game um, at all levels and I think it was fantastic that she was really happy to stand up and talk about that um, openly. Yeah absolutely and that US team I mean they're absolutely stacked with stars um, just the amount of players that they have that are just, you know, world beaters. And, I mean, Rose Lavelle, Alex Morgan, Carly Lloyd, these are all incredible names. So to have them playing in Wellington um, against our football ferns, oh, it would be incredible. Yeah. At the World Cup, I mean, it's just the pinnacle of the, of the sport. Um, you're taking on the reigning world champs at home. Um, and I think, yes, I agree with Mike. I think the next best game would obviously be that Australia game. I mean, how good would that be? Of course. Oh, incredible. <laughs> uh, I mean, taking on world, world stars like Samantha Kerr. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, actually, there's a few teams that would be great. Um, you know, some of the, the girls from the South American continents are just phenomenal players as well. But I just, it would be so exciting just to have some amazing players on our shore I mean uh, just a, a year and yeah I can't wait um, it's going to be a long three-year wait <laughs> but there'll be much very very much to do between now and then um, what I can't be specific but um, I what I can say is there will be a lot to do so hopefully it'll creep up on us fairly quickly and I also think you know worth mentioning that when you know I'm hoping also that this will be a catalyst for um, you know, David Dome and the Wellington Phoenix being able to, you know, push for that women's team in the Australian W League as well. Um, I see this, um, you know, the World Cup result hopefully meaning, um, you know, a positive step in, in that league for our women locally too. So there's a, you mentioned catalysts. Um, World Cups mm. and big tournaments like this a lot of the time are the catalyst for people to get involved into the sport. What's the best way of... Um, girls are seen this doesn't really matter what the age grade is and they want to get involved in football maybe they're keen to play you know five-a-side futsal or they want to give 11 a side a go what should they do do they get in touch with capital football or do they um uh do they get in touch with somebody else Oh, no, really good, really good question. Um, I think, you know, yeah, there will be, uh, we saw this with the uh, age grade under, women's under-17s World Cup that was here in the early 2000s. Um, there was, it increased the level of participation of females in the sport um, significantly. Um, and seeing seeing the girls, um, best females in the world play will will mean that we're likely to have numbers increase as well. I think, you know, there's a number of ways that they can get in, get in touch uh, either through Capital Football, through the website. You know, we obviously use multiple media platforms for reaching out to our current our members, our stakeholder clubs, and also to those that might not be involved in football at the moment through Twitter and um, Facebook and website. New Zealand Football also have a facility on their website. I believe it's um, still in use for to be able to type in postcode and the like and find out which clubs are local to you. Um, and there's some search capability within uh, the Comet as well to be able to um, find out the local clubs. So, oh, that's great. Mm. And Helen, so plenty of opportunities. Yeah, Helen, you've talked about um, getting, you know, women getting into football, and and this could be mm-hmm. a catalyst. How did you get into football? What what is your football journey? Um, can you describe when you first kicked the ball, or what your first football memory was, and then take us through all the way to now? I, I can yeah so it's a slightly it's an interesting journey actually I um I didn't start playing until I was a teenager um and I fell in love immediately um 
But that first year I played was actually back with uh, Marist um, in the green. And um, that's where I met my now um, husband. Um, he also played for Marist. Um, and he shifted to playing for Miramar um, in there and, and got a few matches for their National League side. And I ended up um, starting up the women's um, game back at Miramar again because at that stage they didn't have any teams. So I fell in love with football as, as a t- late in my late teens um, and sadly broke my ankle in a really as I refer to it as the heinous tackle of the century at what's now lovingly known as Davy F Park. Um, and so because it was such a nasty break, I decided to get into administration. And that's where things sort of started for me. I joined a local football club not long after our son, James, was born um, as, at North Wellington, which is where most people, I think, know me from as the secretary. And then from there, I put my hand up to help on the committee, um, got involved with coaching because they were short, um, and then became the grade coordinator. So it sort of blossomed from there. Um, and then within a, only a short um, number of years, I was um, asked if I'd consider taking on the junior club president role, which at the time was pretty daunting, but I stepped up and, and gave it a crack. Um, I carried on with my coaching right through until under-17s, um, and the answer to the question that you might have was yes. Um, coached my son through all of those years <laughs> and a few other players. Um, and, uh, yeah. Oh, like, uh, he, he really enjoyed it, and I loved being involved. It was really good. And while he was still a young player, so he started playing at age four, I was really worried about, um, you know, who was going to referee the games, and my knowledge of the game was um, pretty limited. I knew that you, ne- you needed to score goals and the like, but as for the rules of the game, I had no idea. So I went along to a local referee course to learn a little bit more um, and... That too, I think, you know, once I get my teeth into something, I just want to keep going until, I, until I've um, <laughs> achieved all the goals. And what was meant to be a, you know, grade seven refereeing ended up being, um, I ended up refereeing on the local leagues for many, many years with uh, the pinnacle for me, uh, female referee on the National Women's League um, and also refereeing, I think, on the local leagues the, uh, as well as the women's um, uh, Kelly Cup um, final over a number of years. Um, I also um, reached uh, men's Premier League as a referee in the middle, and that for me was um, pretty special, special moment in my refereeing career. Um, and then um, from from there, I moved. Um, I carried on. I moved up into the senior North Wellington club, and then what I saw was there was just so much duplication of effort across. Mm-hmm. So many different clubs and the contributions, huge contributions from a number of really gifted, talented, committed volunteers. And I just, I kept thinking, there's got to be a better way to do this. And I didn't have all the answers, but I thought, what better to do it than get involved on the board um, of Capital Football um, and join the the team who were also, you know, huge volunteers within the football in our region, and so I took the opportunity to um, uh, apply to, and was um, interviewed and appointed to the board. And then uh, March, la- May last year, after the AGM, I was invited to step up to the chair role. So here I am. So it's been a whirlwind journey over um, twenty, um, probably about eighteen, twenty years, um, and I've loved every single minute of it. Um, and I'm, I feel very honoured and blessed to be in the role that I'm in now um, because I have a fantastic team um, that work with me who are um, also amazingly committed to football for our region. That's really interesting. So um, just backtracking a little bit, what's sure. involved 
what's involved in the application process to get on the Capital Football Board? Because I'm sure a lot of people that have probably been involved in football clubs aren't actually aware of actually, you know, moving from the club to the regional organisation. Sure. Um, so there's three types of membership of our board, and this is um, governed by the Capital Football Rules. So it's actually regulated. There is there is um, the there's three types. There's co-opted, appointed, and elected. So the elected members are elected through the clubs. The appointed members are interviewed, and they're interviewed by the local RST, so Sport Wellington, and joined by a board member and a New Zealand football board member. Um, and then there are co-opted members who are co-opted on by the board to fill a need at any given time. So there's three ways that people can get onto the board. Oh, that's really cool. And are oh, there yeah. any? Are there any other sort of organisations that the at that Capital Football run? I've heard something about the advisory groups. Oh, sure. Yeah, so we have advisory groups, um, women's advisory group, the men's advisory group, uh, there's futsal, um, and there's a number of different advisory groups. And the advisory groups are a way for the clubs to provide feedback through to Capital Football and also to the board. Um, and the advisory groups take on different um, – um, they have different members from each of the different – or from representing each of the different clubs. So – how that works is um, if we take the men's advisory group, for example, there is a number of representatives and each of them may have two or three clubs that they represent. So they come along to their advisory group meeting with um, feedback on things that have been raised in previous meetings or with new information to share. And there is a board rep and capital football staff representation on each of those advisory groups. And that's used to make sure that we're keeping in touch with you know, the needs of our stakeholders and the needs of our community. Mm. Yeah, and then where necessary, it comes back to the board for, for decision. <laughs> and you've also, um, we actually met, uh, well, we we're both volunteering at the Phoenix. Um, what was your, how did you get involved with helping the Phoenix out and um, what's that journey been like? Oh, very true. There's one part of my footballing career that I had missed out. Um, <laughs> the Phoenix, <laughs> and it's a big part as well. So I've been a volunteer at the Phoenix for uh I think it's 11 seasons now, it's a while, um, a friend was volunteering and said, why don't you come along and give it a go? And like everything else, once I put my hand up to try, um, I find it very hard to back back out. And, I, you know, I love being a volunteer with the Phoenix. Um, I've had a few different game day roles. Um, and I think for me, uh, the, the reward is being able to enjoy the kids that are involved on game days and the excitement on their faces when the players take the field or when they come through with the honour guard, etc. I think it's really a, a great opportunity for, you know, a local footballing community to be involved in with the A-League. Mm. Well, fantastic, Helen. I mean, what a, what a journey you've taken us through. <laughs> I mean, you really have gone through a lot of roles I mean uh, yeah referee you're on the board at Capital Football now you did play for a spell before an injury um, cruelly finished the career I guess if you'd say that um, on Davy F who knew yeah um, I mean yeah what a what a career yes before it the... is although I I wouldn't um I I would probably say and some of my friends lifelong friends would say probably ending my playing career was not a bad thing because I was actually pretty rubbish <laughs> as a player so I was pretty rubbish oh, no. <laughs> I was the defender that used to duck when a, a player came towards me because I didn't want to get hit <laughs> oh. and with football being a contact sport it was probably better that I actually picked up a whistle instead because no <laughs> uh, although players still do run into you occasionally so <laughs> it's just a little 
little different, though. You get an apology rather than get out of my way. Yeah, true, true. Um, well, before yep. the pod, we were talking about football for all, and then you said that was something yeah. that you, you could talk for a long time about. Just just give us kind of an overview of what the uh, initiative is and, and what your role is in that uh, initiative. Sure. So Football for All is a program that was um, introduced um, through the Phoenix Foundation. Um, it's a program that's aimed at providing um, our, our youth um, of diverse backgrounds who otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to play football. Um, so this is the first um, group of kids that have applied for, or sorry, children that have applied to um, the Football for All program um, through that's that's run and funded through the Football Foundation. And the kids basically are given the opportunity to play at a local club, um, their registration fees, their transport to and from the game, and everything they need for a game. So their boots, their socks, shin pads, shorts, their playing shirt is all provided for them. So they provide, there's no barrier for them to getting involved with the game. So we had the first 50 children. Yeah. We had the first 50 children um, um, inducted into the program a couple of weeks ago, and I was really fortunate to, to be there um, for that event um, or for one of the events here in Wellington. Um, and it was just such an amazingly heartwarming um, moment. Um, my personal involvement was not uh, huge. Um, the team at Capital Football worked really hard in with uh, Phoenix staff to get everything ready to source local volunteers that could help with getting these kids to the games. Um, and so uh, this is a fantastic opportunity and initiative for kiddies that otherwise couldn't play football to get involved with absolutely no barriers. And so if um, that's an amazing initiative, um, yeah. if parents who are listening or brothers and sisters who are listening who think, oh, that's actually would be really something cool for us to be able to do and um, – there's obviously some they'd need to qualify for. How would they go about applying as an application process? Sure, or? there is. And this year being the first one, there's been a lot of learnings that have come out of it. So I can't say when the next one will be. I'm hoping it will be um, next season. Um, cool. And I'd say at this stage, um, unless I n- hear anything further, potentially through Capital Football or through the Phoenix found, um, and uh, or the Phoenix Foundation, but at the, maybe at this stage I'd suggest Capital Football. Um, and there is an application process, and I do know that they're working behind the scenes now just to get that to improve um, uh, that from this year's. Which this year's one was fine, but you know, with any new program that's rolled out, there's always opportunities to improve um, improve how it's rolled out. Yeah. Cool. And obviously you guys have gone through a bit of a turbulent time like everybody has with COVID and the yeah. uh, potential postponement, let's be honest, of the season if, um, yes. if the country hadn't managed to handle it. I think you guys did an amazing job getting our winter seasons kick-started. But what do you see from the board leadership point of view as the biggest challenges, not even for capital football, but for football in New Zealand moving forward? Yeah, no, some really good questions there. I think, you know, locally, I'd just say, you, you know, you're right, there was a lot of work done to get the season underway. And that was the primary focus um, as we um, moved down the levels in COVID. And I think, you, I'm sure you'll be aware that this we were the first sport along with hockey to be up and running. And, you know, it'd be fair to say that the board were really proud of the work that the team did to get everything up and running. Um, I think it's just so important to have the sport up and running as it was, it has been very important to have it up and running as soon as possible. Because, you know, football, along with, you know, all sporting codes, just provides meaning for people. Um, mm. We're social beings and interaction 
um, is so important. And I think from a mental health perspective as well, being able to have football back out on the field, really important for that social interaction. So, um, you know, I couldn't be prouder of the team than the work that was put in um, to getting um, everyone out there on the field as soon as we possibly could. And from the juniors' perspective, we had the first festival weekend uh, this weekend. Um, and it would be fair to say there were still a few that were a little wary about COVID. Um, but um, having said that, with a late season start and everything, we've been really pleased with the numbers um, that are um, re-registering again for the year. Um, oh, this is almost like the start of a season. But, yeah, um, it's looking all right at the moment. Yeah. You were going to yeah, say something? Uh, yeah. I've I've got to be honest. Um, yeah. I'm the, one of the one of the social team captains within the uh, capital uh, within the Wellington League. So the first to put um, my hand up with a bunch of other captains when things haven't been going well in the past couple of years. But this year, you guys mm-hmm. have done a fantastic job. Like the feeling around all the clubs and all the teams that we spoke to, just hats off to everybody at the Capital Football Officers yeah. for not only getting the competition underway, um, but for um, everything going quite seamlessly at the start of the season. Oh, look, I'm really pleased. That's from from a um, from a board perspective. It's really good to hear. You know, like clearly, you're one of our your team is one of the stakeholders within one of our clubs, and it's really good to hear that um, that rollout was um, of the season commencements been been pretty smooth. I know the team worked really hard during pretty trying time because, as you mentioned at the start, the uh, worry about um, whether or not we'd even get a season that would be that was very very apt and fair comment to make. Um, we too were really nervous about what that might mean and weekly um, conversations with New Zealand football um, with the plan of having um, each of the federations, you know, kick off at the same time or, you know, and talking about what it might mean if we couldn't start because there were some real difficult conversations that would have been, would have had to have occurred if there'd been no football season. So um, relief is definitely one word that I'd use, um, but also really pleased that all of our players are able to get back out there on the field and enjoy doing what we love the most. And that's, you know, playing, watching and um, officiating and coaching football. That's that's cool, eh? Because um, yeah, yeah I definitely heard from a couple of clubs that um, there was a bit of a sense of, I, I think fear is the wrong word, but just uncertainty. And it's yeah. good, and it's good to hear that things are, you know, I think once you got that season kicked off, uh, th- things were hopefully starting to fall into places. And is everything teed up to have a normal winter season, barring any sort of second wave? Uh, next- um- yeah, it is. Oh, for next year, that's the plan. Um, I guess we can't predict the future, but the plan is it will be a normal season next year. And I think, um, you know, I think everybody's got fingers, toes, toes and arms crossed that that is the case. But um, time will tell. It's obviously we're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic that, you know, uh, it's a first for everybody. It's not something that's happened in the past that um, but we're having said that as a country, I think New Zealand has, you know, learnt very quickly and made some really good decisions that have meant that we're able to have football up and running. Um, whilst there are some other parts of the world where sport is still very much um, on the back burner, so I'm hugely, hugely proud of everything that our country has done around around COVID, so that we could get football back up and running. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Hey, yep. so we, we go out like we do with all of our guests and we mm-hmm. ask everybody if anybody has any questions. And there's a couple that have come in. Um, sure. I'll go with the first one here. Um, mm-hmm. What's the best excuse you have ever given an assessor for an obvious mistake you made? Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, you know, it's a really interesting question. I saw that um, on Twitter. Um, and for me personally, um, I'm – 
very honest, um, very self-aware, and also really self-critical. And so I never gave an excuse. I always owned up. If I'd made a mistake, I always said, I've mucked that up, and I know I have, and here's the learning for me, and this is what I'll do next time. And that was right the way through my career from refereeing kiddies right through to the National League because we're only human, and we, we can only give what we see at the time. And then sometimes you'll retrospectively think, actually, I got that decision wrong. Um fortunately I didn't make heaps of mistakes but you know I, I, and it's not a mistake it's just a, a learning opportunity and it's like players as well you know they make mistakes and, and they learn from them and move on hopefully <laughs> <laughs> I've got another one here um, if sure. you want to get involved into um, becoming a referee but you don't obviously yeah. have any experience um, what's the best way for somebody to learn their craft as such? Sure. No, really good question. So there's a couple of ways you can get involved, um, all through Capital Football. So our referee development manager, Jamie Cross, um, manages the influx of new referees that might be looking to get involved at the senior level um, and also the club-based referees. Yeah, they can, If they want to officiate at um, junior club level, can apply through their club or direct to Capital Football. So there's a number of courses that can be taken. And also last year I implemented the inaugural uh, female referee development program which is specially aimed at females looking to get into refereeing um, and we'll shortly be actually launching the second edition of that so if there's any females out there that are really interested um, I'd love to hear from you and you can reach me through chair at capitalfootball.org.nz um, where um, yeah, we'll be getting that started shortly Cool that's, that's really good to know and I assume that's the same for any um, male referees as well they can just um, get in touch with Capital Football and there's lots of courses absolutely yeah I oh know so the rest of the information that I shared around Jamie he he's responsible for all referees this program is just specifically aimed at um, females looking to get involved yeah cool now another question here how does Capital Football view the challenge of independent football leagues and obviously um, I run a social seven-a-side football comp which I assume falls into this bracket uh, which are targeting the lower end um, social divisions with much, using their words here, much lower fees, turf access and the like. What needs to change? Okay, that's a really interesting question that that person has raised. Um, Capital Football are really relaxed about this. You know, there is um, a place for footballers to play football in our country. Um Clearly, Capital Football are affiliated to New Zealand Football, our national body. We're here for our stakeholders and our clubs and providing competitions to meet the club members' needs. Um, there'll be some players that choose to play for private providers. That's fine. You know, private providers are, you know, are, 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 are you know, part of the um, fabric of football in our community. Um, and so we're really relaxed about it. You know, private providers are there to clearly make um, some money as well. Um, and that's very much their decision to make. And I think there is a place for them in football. Yeah, and I think the majority, just adding my two cents on this um, sure. from the other end of the spectrum, is that the majority of private providers are operating in a space that you guys don't really operate as well. And so to give you an idea from a better football sense, 90% of mm -hmm. our players play in a winter football team. So there is, yeah. like, especially in a community like Wellington, there's a lot of crossover. And all credit to you guys is when we're going through the COVID experience, the positive communication and the, the great communi like open communication from Capital Football was fantastic and it was just a good um, a good feeling that it was no there's a lot of myths going around in the football community and mm. yeah nothing but a positive working relationship in terms of making sure that the right messaging was going out to everybody that needed to 
at a time when people need to know what they need, um, like needed safe and clear and consistent messaging from you guys, which is mm-hmm. really good. Um, hey, we're going to move on to the, the fast five, and this is sure. where we are going to ask you five questions. Um, mm-hmm. You two possible answers, and it's rapid fire. Sometimes they evolve into a little bit of commentary, which is fine. Um, but I'll start with Sigmund or Jura. Sigmund. Fair enough. Um, uh, Team Wellington or the Phoenix Reserves? Oh, good question. Um, I'll go with Phoenix Reserves. Okay, very cool. And Kane or Bale? Kane, definitely Kane. Yeah. Now, here's a slightly left field one. The old Nixie or the new Nixie? <laughs> Oh, the new Nixie. Can I say why the new Nixie? Go on. Oh, hurt him. Because, oh, no, actually, if there's children listening, I know I better not say. (laughs) 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 And uh, being part of the matchday crew, like uh, volunteering for the Phoenix, or uh, being in the crowd? Matchday crew volunteering. Thanks for those fast five answers, Helen. I'd just like to ask you one final question before we wrap up. What are the coming objectives that Capital Football has uh, over the next few months uh, coming out of this whole COVID thing? Um, what are what are the Capital Football trying to do for the new, wider New Zealand public? Sure. So certainly um, over the coming months, we're working through development of a refreshed strategy, um, looking at what opportunities that will bring for football in our region. Um, And of course, top of mind always is still sustainability of the game. Um, That's front and centre for us, as I know it is for everybody at the moment coming out of COVID. Um, We're also um, involved and will be quite heavily involved in the review of football in New Zealand that New Zealand Football have recently announced. I think that's a really important uh, step for us in the right direction just to understand where things might go for football in New Zealand and this it's a review that we've been asking for for a while now and it's great that it's now getting off the ground um, and I'm excited to see where that goes not just for Federation 5 and Capital Football but for the whole country. Um, We're also um, continuing in that diversity and inclusion space in our game and at all levels and that's right through from you know grassroots football through senior um, and, and, and onto the board too. And then, of course, the National League and what that means in the Wellington footballing landscape. Um, we're yet to hear what how that will play out over the coming weeks. Um, given COVID, um, I'm looking forward to, um, you know, checking in with Team Wellington and the, and the local and Wellington Phoenix to understand what that might mean over coming months for National League. Yeah. Well, so that's a few things that are coming up pleasure. over the next few weeks. Yeah, thank yeah. you very much for clarifying all of that. And I look forward to seeing... Um, what Capital Football does come up with and how New Zealand football can really uh, take this opportunity to kind of look back and say, okay, how can we make things better for football in New Zealand and how can we take things further and make it better in this country um, overall? And so working with the federations, working with New Zealand football and really coming together and making sure that we take football in a better direction in the coming months in the coming years and always trying to further the game as you said in our country it's been a pleasure talking yeah. to you helen thank you for coming on thank and you. talking to mike and myself and um, thanks, we will hopefully catch up with you in the near future awesome love thanks for your time guys i really appreciate it yeah thanks helen thank you thanks for listening to the total football new zealand podcast I'm Connor Clements, and from myself and my co-host Mike Anderson, 
We will be back next week interviewing another key figure in the New Zealand football landscape, and we wish you all the best for the rest of your week. Thanks for listening. See you next time.